Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our Countercultural Sermon Series. Countercultural is a study of the Beatitudes and explores our call to be different. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We'd love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select contact us, and send us an email. Shane grew up in Bangkok, Thailand. He writes, my mother was a government official, my father was a lawyer. My family seemed like they had it all together on the outside, but on the inside, it was chaotic. My dad was an alcoholic. He and my mother used to fight. I saw him try to kill her at least three times. He was always destroying our family. I had no hope, no one to talk to. When I was 12, I started to drink and smoke and use drugs. I became addicted and I started selling drugs. I would wake up at three in the afternoon, play video games until six, then meet with my friends and do things together. I came home and drank from 9 p.m. to 4 a.m. Then I would wake up again at 3 p.m. During the school year, I failed almost all of my subjects. I didn't even try. I knew I was a failure in every area of my life. My life was an unending, meaningless circle. One day, a friend invited me to study English. Now, in my Thai culture, I was very interested because if I would go to extra school, the tradition was that your parents would give you more money, and I wanted more money for drugs and cigarettes. So I came to English school. I could not understand any English at all, but I couldn't help but wonder why my teacher wanted to teach me because she was so nice. Even when I asked her stupid questions, she didn't mind. Sometimes she didn't know the answer to my question, so the next day she would come back to class and she would give me the answer. And I started to wonder why these people were so nice. I had heard they were Christians, and I wanted to know more about Christians, so one day I went to their church meeting. It began with a meal. And so I went to that meal and while I was eating, I was sitting by a stranger and he had a book and I asked him what that book was and he said, it's a Bible. And he opened it and he showed me the first chapter. Now I couldn't understand much English at that time, but I carried a dictionary with me and he translated the words for me. And I was amazed that he wanted to know, wanted me to know about God that much. After the meal, I I went to the service. They sang songs about God, and I didn't understand. And I looked around, because in my culture, there's always an image of the God that you worship. So I I, I stood up, and I sat down, and I stood up, and I sat down, and I I couldn't find the image of God. And then then a guy went up front, and he preached from the Old Testament about the story of Joseph. And, And he told me how Joseph would not sleep with Potiphar's wife because he loved God more. I was stunned. I I had so many questions about Joseph and God. And then the speaker asked, what is love? I I had no idea. I had never received love from my parents. I had never been loved by my friends. The speaker said, God is love. I can't explain my feelings in that moment. But the speaker asked, Do you know how much God loves you? I thought, I don't know. He told the crowd, God sent his only son to die on the cross for you. 
again, I couldn't explain my feelings. I had never met the guy named Jesus, and I had never done anything for him. Why would he want to die for me? Why would he want to save me? If he was God, he would have no reason to die for me, no reason to forgive me. I was totally unworthy. I was nothing. I was not the kind of person he would die to save. I wondered who God was and why he did that for me. But I wanted to know more and I came to church again and again and I thought, he has already saved me at the cross and he wants to bless me every day. So why shouldn't I accept him as my savior? After I accepted Christ, my life changed. I stopped drinking. I stopped smoking and I stopped using drugs. And God used me to help save others, my mom and neighbors and friends. And I realized that God could change my life. Shane's story is really not like, unlike anybody else's story. Now, it, it, it's very dramatic because he, he, he had this reality about his own human depravity. He realized that he had sunk to the lowest that he could go and he couldn't imagine that God would want to save him. And that's the paradox of God. God realizes that we're uh, morally and righteously adrift. We're rudderless. We're sinners. But as we sang just a moment ago, there's an overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God that leaves the 99 and goes to find the one and each of us was the one when he found us and he saved us you know as I said Shane came to understand his own spiritual bankruptcy and we're going to talk about spiritual bankruptcy today and you know it's heavy you may think it's depressing but but it's, it's a doctrine it's scriptural it's something that we have to own but let me tell you there's there's good news at the end of this tunnel okay so stick with me um you know, the scripture that we're focusing on this week comes from the Beatitudes. You saw the Beatitudes in the video. The scripture where Jesus tells us about spiritual bankruptcy is this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Being poor in spirit means you recognize you're spiritually bankrupt. And, and this is what scholars say. To be poor in spirit is not to lack courage, but to acknowledge our spiritual bankruptcy. To be poor in spirit confesses that on our own, we're unworthy of God's love, we're, but we're also utterly dependent on his love. And the good news is he loves us. You know, people say, what about this poor idea? There's a little bit of confusion because in the Gospel of Luke, Luke also gives us some of the Beatitudes and he just says, blessed are the poor. Um, 
for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, that's not a contradiction from Matthew. The, the idea is this, and it fits in first century Israel culture. Really, it fits in, in, in every century since then. But the idea that, that those who are struggling more economically are more in touch with also their spiritual bankruptcy. So what does that mean for us? That means some of us are gonna embrace this idea that, that spiritually we're bankrupt. We're gonna embrace it a lot uh, so much more easily than others of us will. But, but here's the deal. If we go deeper into God's word, as we, if we read God's word, we can't get away from this idea that we're sinners, that we are people who, as theologians call, are totally depraved. Now, the, the, the doctrine of total depravity, again, sounds really depressing, uh, but we're gonna dig into this, but there's good news at the end of this. So here's the deal. Every human being who comes to terms with God has to recognize, they have to own this fact that, that we have depravity. And, and uh, theologians define the idea of total depravity as the belief that as a result of the fall of humanity, back in the garden with Adam and Eve, humans are corrupt, we're sinful. Now, as I said, that sounds pretty depressing, but, but scripture testifies it to it. The, the prophet Jeremiah said this, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Both Old and New Testaments tell us that we're sinners. We all have to own that. The apostle Paul embraced it he said there's no one righteous not even one there is no one who understands there is no one who seeks God all have turned away all have they together have become worthless there is no one who does good not even one and he owned his own depravity now look I understand this is challenging I understand you know this is hard for some of us to, to own the fact that that we're depraved. It's not something we think up, uh, we sit up in the morning and say, oh, I'm depraved. We don't, we don't think about that. We think about people like Kim Jong-un as being, you know, totally depraved. We think about, uh, you know, ISIS terrorists being totally depraved. We, we think about people who traffic people and uh, innocent people and, and sex slavery or other types of human slavery as totally depraved. We don't think about ourselves as being totally depraved. But the idea in Scripture is, look, we cannot meet God's standards in our human nature. We're sinners. And everybody has to come to the bottom line that at some point we have to realize that we're not good enough for God. That's owning the fact that we are depraved. But as I said, we're moving toward good news. And it begins in this. We have to own that we need a savior, right? We have to own that we need a savior. Here's the truth, and I don't mean to beat a dead horse, okay? We're not good enough on our own to please God. We're not good enough on our own to make it to heaven. We cannot do enough good deeds. We can't apologize enough for our sins or, or do enough penance. We can't do enough good things to satisfy God. You know living for God is not about putting enough good deeds in the God bank to offset the bad deeds that you've done. 
At least I, I hope you know that. You can't do everything perfectly and always say the right things and never get mad at a single soul. And even if you could, that's not what pleases God or gets people into heaven. You and I need a savior because we can't save ourselves. Now, as the Apostle Paul wrestled with his own spiritual bankruptcy, his own human depravity, his own need for a savior, I want to see... I want you to see how he walks through this line of thinking and gets to the fact that he needs a Savior. This is from Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 14. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. It's pretty depressing, but here we go. Here's the good news. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And here it is. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We need a Savior, and God has sent us a Savior. And that is the good news. That is the good news to the fact that, that we wrestle with our sinfulness, that we are spiritually bankrupt, and there is no other name under heaven or earth that will save us from our sins. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Think about the best person, the most morally good, righteous person you could ever think of. Think about who that person is. Maybe you're thinking of Mother Teresa. Maybe you're thinking of Billy Graham. Maybe you're thinking of of somebody in your family tree. Maybe it's your grandmother or, or your mom or your dad or your brother or sister. Maybe it's somebody that you know. Here's the truth. As good as Mother Teresa was, as good as Billy Graham is, as good as that person is that you're thinking about, their sin, as minuscule as it is, disqualifies them from entering heaven. It is only through the saving work of Jesus Christ that they are saved for eternity and receive the promise of eternal life. And when they die, they don't just sit out in space and float. They're with Jesus forever. And you know what he says when they arrive? Well, I remember in 1975, no, he doesn't say that. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Because when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin when we stand before him. He sees 
what Jesus did for us on the cross. So we have to own our own depravity. We have to own that we need a savior. And this brings us back to this idea of spiritual bankruptcy. We have to own our spiritual bankruptcy. Jesus talked about it. He didn't use those terms, but, but he talked about it. He tells a story to, to those that are listening, those who were confident of their own righteousness. And in fact, so confident that they looked down on others. And he tells a story about two people, a Pharisee and a tax collector. So in Jesus' day, Everybody thought the spiritual giants, the spiritual heroes were Pharisees because they were righteous. They did it all right. They kept the law and they were proud of it. And nobody liked the tax collector. They were, they were people who were, uh, obviously nobody likes to pay taxes, so that was part of the deal, but they were known to overcharge and skim off of that and so that they could inflate their own financial position so nobody liked him but here's the story that Jesus says I'm going to pick up in verse 10 of chapter 18 of Luke two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee the other a tax collector the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed God I thank you that I am not like other people robbers evildoers adulterers or even like this tax collector I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up toward heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus continues, I tell you that this man, this tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Here's the idea. This tax collector owned that he was spiritually bankrupt before God. That, that his life was a life that didn't meet up to God's standard. He may have been the very best, the most perfect tax collector who didn't use people, who didn't overcharge, but he recognized that he was a sinner. And that's something that scripture tells us over and over again. Remember what Jesus said. It's the first beatitude. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, so here's the good news. In, in this depressing topic of, of total depravity, here's the good news. When you recognize that you need a savior, when you recognize that you're sinful and you accept Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is yours. You will be with God, with Jesus forever and ever. And so that's, what's, that's what Jesus is talking about. Blessed are the poor in spirit because they get it. They get it. They need a savior and they've trusted in me. So theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's countercultural. It's not what our culture says. It's not what our culture does. I mean, when you, wherever you go to our school or work or the club or the neighborhood, you know, talk about this, and this is not what people in our culture are thinking. That blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, what do we do with this acknowledgement that we're poor in spirit? Uh, Trish Crosley has written a little uh, blurb, and I want to share with you, and, and she, she uses phrases that just fit right in with this idea of spiritual bankruptcy. 
You know, what do we do when we own that we're spiritually bankrupt? And what, and what I'm going to say will speak to you wherever you are in your relationship with God, what, whether you're just sort of seeking out and trying to figure out who this Jesus is, or, or maybe you've come to faith in Christ and, and you're really starting to follow him, or maybe you've been following him for, for a couple of decades. Here's what you have to do when you own that you're spiritually bankrupt. First of all, you need to reconcile your account. Reconcile your account with God. Understand that Jesus died to make a way between you and God. That, that he is the perfect son. He is the only one who can save your soul for eternity. He is the one who can forgive your sins. And you can stand up before God. And because of what Jesus did on the cross... You will owe no debt to sin. Your account will be marked paid in full. So, reconcile your account. Now, now here we go. If you're just struggling with who this Jesus is, you need to initiate your balance transfer. Deposit God's grace into your life by beginning a personal relationship with Jesus. Very simply, this is what you need to do. If you've never trusted in Jesus, you just need to tell him that you believe in him. You believe that he died on the cross and that he rose again to forgive you of your sins. And you can start walking in a relationship with him. And many of you have prayed a prayer like that. Some of you may need to renew that commitment because maybe you've just sort of wandered away. Maybe you've got caught up in the culture, in the ways of the world. Maybe you once felt like you were walking close with Jesus, but, but now you've started to stray. I'm gonna give you a time in a minute to, to pray whether you're committing your life to Christ or, or renewing it. Here's the third thing you need to do. You need to schedule regular deposits into your relationship with God. You know, I have an agreement with my bank. After I make a deposit into my checking account, a portion of it goes to a savings account. Why? So I can save it for later. Now, that's not the idea, but it's so it's going to build up. In other words, we need to schedule regular deposits into our relationship with God. We need to get to know him. And, and, you know, I, I may sound like a broken record, but there's, there's really only one way we're going to get to know him, and, and that's by talking to God, praying with him. And, and you know what? He wants to know what is on your heart. It doesn't matter how insignificant or weird you think what you want to say to God is. He's all ears. He wants to hear from you. And he wants to speak to you the power of the Holy Spirit, like he spoke to, as Dan shared, spoke to Dan this morning. He wants to speak to you through his word. If you're following me on Facebook, I, we're in the middle of this, this all church study counterculture, and I've, I've been very candid on Facebook and share with you how God's been speaking to me through this. These, these scriptures that God made us pick when we wrote this study for Valley Brook, and now they're coming back to me. And I'm spending time with God making deposits, talking to him, and talking back in a loving, respectful way. But he, here's the deal. 
When we embrace that blessed are the poor in spirit, that means we recognize that we need a Savior and we have a gracious God. And maybe we just need to acknowledge that, that, that we're spiritually poor, that we're poor in spirit. And we need to also acknowledge that in saying that, that we've been given a blessing, the kingdom of heaven, it's ours. So we're gonna spend a little bit of time in prayer. And when we do this, this is your opportunity to, to, just to talk to God about the fact that you're spiritually poor. For some of you who have never told Jesus that you believed in him and wanna start a relationship with him, very simply, you can do that. Just tell him you believe in him, that you believe he died on the cross and he rose again, and that you accept his forgiveness for your sins. And for some of you, you need to renew that commitment. And this is your opportunity. It's your opportunity to tell him in prayer. So uh, the, the team's gonna sing a song, and what I wanna encourage you to do is during this time to pray and, and do some business with God. Recommit to him, commit to him for the first time. Recognize that, that you're a sinner and, and praise him for your forgiveness and praise him for the promise that the kingdom of heaven is yours. But this is a time to reflect and praise him and do some work with him. And then after the song, I'll come back and close us out in prayer. So just spend that time with him. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start us off. Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you would send your son into the world to die on the cross and you said that whoever believes in him shall not die but will have eternal life. So we thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you that we can own the fact that, that we're spiritually bankrupt. And we thank you for the promise that through faith in Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is ours. So Lord, hear our prayers now, our prayers of commitment to you, of recommitment to you, of just owning our spiritual bankrupt nature and praising you for your saving grace. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.